Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May he fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like grain that falls on the mown grass, that showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. If you ever want to know how to pray for the leaders of the country, pray Psalm 72 for the leaders of the country, because that's exactly the kind of leadership we need. And, and you ask me maybe, John, do you want a theocracy? Yep, I do, actually. I actually would love a theocracy under the leadership and the headship of our God. That's exactly what we pray for when we pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you knew truly our God, you would want his righteous rule and reign because there would be prosperity. There would be everything that you deserve and everything that you desire, more that you desire than deserve. But we would receive everything. It would be wonderful to live in his kingdom. And so what we need are leaders who pursue his kingdom and his righteousness. So here we go, and we're looking at one who didn't. <laughs> we're going to be looking at Ahab here, again in 1 Kings 22, 1 to 28, and then we're also going to be in the epistle to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and then in the gospel in Matthew 4, verses 18 to 25, as Jesus calls his first disciples and begins to work wonders and miracles. So what we get, though, is we're not naming Ahab here. I'm not sure why the writer of 1 Kings is not naming him here. And I guess it's just because it's a continuation of the story. But we're going to see now a little bit of cooperation, at least the intention for cooperation, between the northern and southern kingdoms, the kingdoms that have been divided since the day of King Solomon. So what we get is, for three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. Syria would be the next-door neighbor of the northern kingdom. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, the northern kingdom, came down, or the southern kingdom, sorry, came down to the kingdom of Israel, to the northern kingdom. And the king of Israel said, it's Ahab, said to his servants, do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us and we keep quiet and don't take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? He's going to provoke a war here over Ramoth Gilead because it's been in the kingdom of Syria not in the the kingdom of, of Israel. <clears throat> and he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And so he's attempting to form an alliance with, the, with Jehoshaphat, who is the king in Jerusalem. <clears throat> and Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Yes, is the answer. <laughs> to that question. We're ready to go because those are our people that live down there in Ramoth Gilead. Those people are part of the tribes of Israel. And so Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, but first inquire for the word of the Lord. And the king of Israel gathered his prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, go up 
for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Absolutely, go for it. You're a winner. And Jehoshaphat said, isn't there another prophet of the Lord? And he just said something about it that apparently didn't sit right. And he says, isn't there another prophet of the Lord from, of whom you may inquire? And Jehoshaphat said, or no, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there's yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Don't say that. He may come today. He may give us a word. He may give us that positive word. So the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor at the entrances of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. So they're there at the gate of Samaria, which is the capital of Israel, the northern kingdom. And so they're there, and the prophets are prophesying before him, and Zedekiah, the son of Chaniah, made for himself horns of iron. So I mean, you can see this guy with this helmet-looking thing on, and says, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they're destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied and said, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. Be, just be exactly like them. Hey, giving you a heads up what you need to prophesy here, Micaiah. He says, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, I'll speak it. And then he comes to the king, and the king says, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he says, Go on up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king sarcastically. But the king says, how many times do I have to make you swear you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, okay. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains, as sheep that have no shepherd. In other words, you're going to die. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he wouldn't prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. So you get all kinds of suggestions here, right, from the counselors. Then a spirit came forward and said, stood before the Lord and said, I'll entice him. And the Lord said, How are you going to do that? And he said, I'll go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. So the way that I'm going to fix it is he trusts all these guys. I'm going to go out and be a lying spirit among them. you got 400 guys here now prophesying lies is what he says. And he said, you're to entice him and you'll succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord's put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. So Zedekiah, the one with the horns, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, how did the spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? In other words, you're the liar. And Micaiah said, Behold, you see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. You'll see. You'll see the truth then. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the Lord, put this fellow in says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord is not spoken by me. And he said, Hear all you people. You just heard me say it. That's the sign. He will not return in peace. Period. End of sentence. He's going to die. It, it, it takes courage 
to speak the truth in an era and an age when when other people want to speak lies. It, it takes a lot of courage to tell the truth in an, in an age of deception. And that's what's happening here. He, he, he's got these, these men who are beholden to him for their offices. And so they come and they prophesy according to what the king wants to hear and expects to hear. And you've got Micaiah, who's a man who stands alone and who's willing to say, no, I hear from the Lord. And, and, and it's hard to be that guy. But Micaiah doesn't seem to have any problem with it. And it's rare frankly, to find someone who will stand that way and stand to thwart everything else and say, you know, y'all got it all wrong. Jesus is that guy, right? I mean, Jesus is the one who comes up and he says all the things nobody wants to hear. He says the thing everybody wants to hear until they don't. And, And then when he won't dance to their tune, it goes badly. So here in the beginning, though, it's, it's great. He, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting their net into the sea because they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and follow him. Going on from there, he sees two other guys, James, the son of Deb- Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. They had to have had some experience of him because we were told in yesterday's lesson that he lived in Capernaum. And they were also, we know this from John 2, that they were, they were probably the, at least among the followers of John who went after Jesus when John pointed to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. They're the ones probably who followed him. And, and then when he turned on them and said, What are you looking for? They said, uh, uh, Where are you staying? And then he takes them in, and they stay with him the rest of that day. And so they would have been looking for the kingdom of God, and they believed the testimony of John. So he goes throughout all Galilee then, all up in that northern area, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. His fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those affected Afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them all. So it's, it's going not just throughout Galilee, but also over into Syria. And they're coming, and they're bringing their sick and, and all the others who need to be healed, and he heals them all. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So, I mean, they're coming from all over the place. They're coming from Galilee, which is the northern part, the Decapolis, the ten cities, which are on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the, these pagan places over there. And also, he says, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So you've got, you've got both Jews and Gentiles, or at least Jews who live in Gentile lands, who are following Jesus where he goes. And so the crowd is coming, the buzz is happening, Um, it's all beginning, and and we all know how it's going to end. But at this time, they're they're hearing gracious words, and they're following him because of all that he's doing and all that he's saying. Again, popularity can come and go. Truth is all that ultimately matters. And that's exactly why Jesus went to the cross, because he came to bring the truth. And he came to, to tell of the Father, which doesn't always bless us, because sometimes we need to be convicted of sin. And I've said this before, the first work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And the hardest work of the Holy Spirit frequently is to convict Christians of sin, because we act so badly with one another 
so frequently. And we've got to be able to be still and listen to the Lord and to, to be able to be that dissenting voice. Because we need to stand for him and for his kingdom. That's the reason I say, yes, I'd like to live in a theocracy, because, because then we, have, we know the goodness and the greatness of God. And so we know that all things are as they should be. We, we can be well aware today that, and, and every day that, that has happened since the first sin in the garden that things are not as they should be, including each and every one of us. And yet we can get satisfied and we can get comfortable and we need people sometimes to speak into our lives. I had people do that with this whole thing with Will because I'd been angry with him for a while over several different issues. But then I had people, when all this happened, come to me and say, John, you know, that's not all righteous. And you owe him an apology and you need to humble yourself. And so I I did. But it's rare that people can speak into our lives in that way. There have been other times, I'm positive, when people spoke into my life and I didn't respond with graciousness as well. And so I'm not claiming anything great here. I mean, I had to be brought to my knees with Will's situation in order to be able to do that. And so then Paul continues to speak about the gospel and the folly of the gospel of the crucifixion and the resurrection. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided, he made a choice, a conscious decision to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I mean, it was unimpressive Paul's personal presentation seems unimpressive. He says, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. There was no greatness in what I proclaimed to you. I proclaimed a very simple message. He said, but that speech and that message were in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So there must have been signs that accompanied this. The, The Holy Spirit would have been there to do things and to carry that message, which is simple, in a powerful way. So nobody is going to be taken away with great rhetoric, Paul says. That's not what happened. When I came to you, I proclaimed a very simple message in order that you would be captivated by the truth of the message and the power of the message rather than the power of the messenger. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. In other words, you can grow into wisdom, but my initial proclamation to you was the simple, unadorned gospel, which is that that Jesus, who was God and was with God from the beginning, came to earth in the form of a child, grew into manhood, did miracles and other things. He was God incarnate. He was put to death on a cross for your sins, not his, because he had no sin. And then the third day, he was resurrected from the dead. And that that resurrection means that you too will be resurrected so long as you put your sins on him. You lay hands on Jesus and transfer your sin to him in order that his righteousness might be transferred to you, and that you would then qualify for the resurrection of dead and life in the coming kingdom. It's that simple message, he says, but there's more to know than that, but that's not the message that I came to bring. I I, I bring that message to the mature. 
Although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of the age who are doomed to pass away. It's a different kind of wisdom. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed from before the ages for, <coughs> for our glory. He said it's not a philosophical truth. It's not a philosophical wisdom. It's a, it's a different kind of wisdom. It's a spiritual wisdom about God and the very nature of the universe and the nature of humanity and the future of humanity. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it's written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. You know, I know a whole lot more about Suzanne than you do. And there's a reason for that. She knows a lot more about me than you do, and it's because we love one another and we trust one another, and so we confide in one another. We share truths with one another that we wouldn't share about ourselves with the rest of the world. And that's what he's saying. This is how it works with God. He says, those things God has revealed to us through the Spirit for those who love Him, and He loves in as well. He says, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. He knows us, and he makes himself known to us in the same way through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's the wisdom Paul speaks of for those who are mature. We grow in the knowledge of God as the Spirit is able to impart those things to us, but we have to let go of sometimes of the things that we think we know in order to receive the wisdom that the Spirit can impart to us. He said, now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And the more you know, the more you grow. The more you know, the more you believe, the more you're able to receive, the more you're able to understand about God. But you've got to get rid of some of your preconceived notions about him in order to receive the truth that the Spirit has to offer. The proof of that is the crucifixion of Jesus. Those people who thought they knew everything about God, who thought they had it all right, proved to be all wrong. They didn't recognize true righteousness. They didn't recognize God when he stood among them. Let's not be those people. Let's commit ourselves to being humble. Commit ourselves to being teachable. But commit ourselves to the pursuit of truth and the pursuit of godly wisdom.